0: The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports
1: I know you listen to James Cahill's podcast with William Haller They asked James who was going to win and he said Galway well, Why do you think? Because I just really,
0: really want him to win <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the GAA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now
2: GAA Late Night Live every Sunday evening 8.30 on Twitter Spaces Follow at Off The Ball
3: In partnership with Guinness 00 <laughs> 100% Guinness, 0% alcohol. More social occasions off the GAA pitch are yours for the taking.
0: Uh, welcome, welcome, one and all, to GA Late Night here on OTV's Twitter Spaces. The mixed dreams of three in a row still very much intact after they saw off goalers today by 27 points to one goal in 21 in this afternoon's All-Ireland Semi-Final at Croke Park. Returning duo, Keane Lynch, Peter Casey sprung from the bench in the final quarter, but another sub in David Reedy, who made the telling contribution, scoring three points and brought on to help John Kiely's side over the line. Standing in the treaty's way of possibly winning four Liam McCarthys in five years is Kilkenny, the last team to beat them in the Championship back in the. 2019 semi-finals. The Cats also came out on top when the teams met in the 2007 decider. TJ Reid is the only survivor from that game. He scored 10 points in helping Kilkenny beat Clare by 226 to 20 points on Saturday to book their place in a 17th final of the Cody era. A remarkable success uh, over the last 24 years or so. There was also plenty of drama at Nolan Park this afternoon as Paddy McCormick's goal in the 65th minute saw Tipperary snatch the All-Ireland minor hurling title away from their neighbours awfully. Corker on the out for a new manager after Kieran Kingston confirmed this evening that he's not seeking reappointments we can talk about potential successors in the Rebel County there and we're into the last six of the All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship too. Uh, Willow O'Callan again sitting in for Tommy Rooney on this Sunday evening joined to like to say by Tipperary footballer Michael quinn Levin, former Offaly player Dahi Regan and ex-Cork and Dublin Camogie player Sarah O'Donovan. Dahi if I can come to you first on this one we might talk about the most thrilling game of the weekend which is the one at Nolan Park today. 20 uh, odd thousand people there I think it was officially capped at twenty two, but that to and count the kids who come in for free to watch Offaly against Tipperary, a game that Offaly were on top in for pretty much fifty-five minutes. They were five points up at that stage, and Tipperary a man short, but somehow Tipperary conspired to get a winner deep, deep in injury time to break their hearts. lit on,
2: yeah. Just oh, what a what an evening. Just um, yeah, I was down at it, and it was was at the stand, the stand end where where Offaly were playing into in the second half. And um, Adele was with me. And I said, right, you know, we're on the pitch. And I, I was kind of role-playing with three minutes to go, just with a lot of memories flooding back and just, oh, the lift, we needed it so much more. And I thought, I can't wait to get onto that pitch. And I thought, right, I'm going to look for Pilkington, Johnny Pilkington, because I don't know any of the young young players. But I thought, I can't wait to see Pilkington. Like, it just, it was a done deal, or so it appeared it was a done deal. And we were right beside the exit. So literally stood up when the free was been taken, just praying that this, you know, just please, just this next 10 seconds, please. And then it was like, right, I know where I'm jumping over the fence. It's a long way to get to Johnny, but I know where they're going to have to come off. And next thing, just when the goal went in, in the space of 10 seconds, just everything changed. And literally, I just said to Hiddell, right, quick, gone. And we were down the steps and out. And there was about five other people coming out of the back of the stand. And it was, what's after happening here? What has just happened? And it was, I looked at some of the footage tonight online of young offley boys in floods of tears with their parents and their mums with their arms around them and the whole thing. But firstly, I think it's important to say congratulations, Tipperary. They hung in when they looked, you know, gone. And it looked like it was a lost cause. It was a phenomenal game. Um, but you have to hand it to Tipperary. They, they, they hung in. There were five or six down with six minutes to go. And for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was a done deal. Offaly were just phenomenal. We're the better side. And I know sometimes you say, well, you know, the best side will always come out at the end. Offaly were the better side. There's no doubt, and they got caught. But congratulations, Tipperary. They never died, but when, when as you know, Will, when you're from where we are, I mean, going out this morning, the roads were just packed at half nine, ten o'clock this morning. We were ringing people who, and I, from being a rep many years ago and travelling that country, I went off Timahoe, down that direction and into Castle or so it was fine and I went home the same way and it was fine but we were talking to people on the way down who were like 20 kilometres here and it's you know we don't know where we make the game and the buzz around the county and it was just this would have meant so much it would have just meant so much to our county to be able to go up and compete with the likes of the Kilkenny's, the Wexford's, Cork, tips, Galway's and and conceivably win a minor All-Ireland title. I mean, that's just would have been unheard of nowadays for us to go and do that. But that's why it's so devastating. It's desperate for those young kids and our heart goes out to them genuinely. But for the rest of us, all of us, awfully people and awfully supporters, it's a very, very sad evening and I know it's sport. But it is a sad evening because we were clinging to any bit of glory. But we got glory this year with them. But just the ultimate just just came up so short. But so sad to see those floods and floods of tears. But again, I've said it already. Well done, Tipperary. You hung in and you've been phenomenal this year as well. But what a day.
0: Two crucial moments, Tahi, that happened during the game too. One happens with about seven minutes of normal time left, which is when Carl Robinson, who would come on as a sub, was ready to round the goalkeeper and put the ball into the net, which would have probably killed the game. Tipperary's Damien Corbett throws the hurl, gets a red card, but ultimately the punishment is not really there in the scoreboard because the free ends up going over the bar as opposed to it being a penalty and an opportunity for a goal. And then the decision which was given against Breton Kavanagh as he's coming out with the ball very late on was very contentious. The free that was given for Tipperary that ultimately resulted in the ball being dropped in from McCormick to tap it home.
2: Yeah, li- literally within te- seconds of that. Now, so let's deal with the first one. I was at the back of that goal and I was right at an angle that the attack... Uh, that Adam screen he was soloing in towards. I was directly at an angle behind him, looking at everything, thinking, this is goal. So I could see Robinson had the overlap. I saw the pass been thrown straight away. And I knew pretty instinctively that the whistle had gone. And you know the way you're looking at something and it's developing in front of you. And I'm thinking, why is he blowing the whistle? He's going to score a goal. It's, it's, it's pretty likely he's going to score a goal. But I did hear the whistle. Now, when the pass was thrown to him, and when he took it, he was definitely outside. But his momentum within two to three steps had brought him inside. So all I know from, from, from looking at what I, I was looking at in front of me, developing, I thought, you've blown it, and you've blown it way too early. So I watched him go to the umpires, and he was a long time with the umpires. And they clearly couldn't identify who the tip offender was. So he went across the field to the linesman, and I thought, you know the hurl was thrown and it did clip young Robinson in the head. And I thought, "Your whoever you pick is gone here. So when the tip player went to him and he called him, I could clearly see the ref was pointing, kept putting his finger to his own head, and, and I said to me, this is clearly a sending off. He keeps pointing to the head, and that means he's gone. But that's not what interested me. What interested me was, is this a penalty? Tip at five on the goals already. And then he pointed that it was a 21. Now, Will, I understand afterwards that apparently it was the right call um, that has been verified that, no, when you look at it again, he'd blown the whistle. That was my understanding when it happened. I think he had blown the whistle and it was a 21, but I couldn't understand why, when he had caught the ball, Robinson took the pass and his momentum carried him in. He should have given him the option of carrying on, so he blew it too quick. In relation to the second one, I was so far back from it. I know young Dan Ravenhill threw a pass just before that, was misplaced, and I thought, oh, shit, no, here we go. But I've watched it about 50 times tonight. On my phone. And the referee is two yards away from it. And I'm going to be fair to the referee. I thought the referee did a very, very good job in the game. But he made a very wrong decision there. It was a blatant free. So, he's two yards away. He blows his whistle. It's a free out for Offley. The ball is struck. And in the air, he blows the final whistle. And the game is over. These fine margins. And I feel a bit sorry for the referee. Because... Everybody will look at that decision, certainly from an offside perspective, and he's going to get absolutely nailed. And that's harming him because, you know, a goalkeeper in the course of a game is expected to deal with the basics. He's not meant to stop bullets. If he does, it's a bonus. A referee is meant to get the clear decisions right. And I think that one in particular, he got wrong. And he clearly got it wrong and he was standing in front of it. And he obviously thought it was a square on shoulder it was anything but it was like the tip player had nearly conceded we're gone your man has it he's gone I stuck the foot out and the leg across him and it was a blatant free and the guy got it wrong and when you look at the despair on the young players I can understand why awfully people will look at him and go you know that's cost that that didn't help And it was at a pivotal time. But we had a lot of other chances to put that game away. And I hope for the referee's sake that it's not all about him now. Because in general, to me, he was very good. And of course, we're going to be disappointed. And it was a wrong decision. But listen, it is what it is. He got it wrong. He's a good ref. He he refed a good game. He refed a classic minor, you know, and, and... that shouldn't define his overall performance, which I thought was actually very, very good. I have a sympathy for the guy because Will, he will look at it. He will question himself. He will be keen as muster to look at this thing and see, please God, I've got this right. I think when he looks at it, he'll say, Shit, I got this wrong. Look how costly it was. He's got to live with that as well. But listen, it's a game at the end of it. He's a good kid. He refed a good job and I hope he goes on and refs a lot more.
0: Yeah, and look, it was an incredible game. Again, an incredible occasion too, the fact that there was so many people in Nolan Park and so many people in so early at Nolan Park. It was one of the most remarkable All-Ireland Minor Finals of recent years. And credit to Tipperary as well, the fact that they've dug in in their last three games, a late finish against Galway in the semi-final, the way they finished in the Munster Final, holding their nerve on penalties. It's no coincidence they've been able to do this three games in a row.
4: Michael McMullen, do you want to come in? What's in your mind? Uh, I just thought it was a fanatic, fanatical game. It was just, everything's right about it. Um... Sat engrossed as a neutral, and it was just absolutely brilliant occasion. Uh, we spoke a few weeks ago on here about the need to take minors to Crow Park. Um, maybe today is uh, evidence that playing in front of a packed arena, wherever it is, is the way forward. Because you know, w- when the awfully disappointment subsides, you know, a- a- in some shape or form, themselves in Tipperary have to really look back and say I was part of what was a magical occasion. You know, um, the colour, the atmosphere, it was just fantastic. It's just a pity uh, it was decided, you know, just at the end, the way it was. Um, I thought Awfully were by a stretch the better team. They were hooking, they were blocking. They always seemed to have the upper hand. And young Screeny, I don't know how he didn't get man of the match. He was absolutely excellent. Um and Awfully I, 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 have to take an awful lot of credit for getting back to the top table, and let's hope that that team can stick together at under twenty level. Because let's face it, the game of hurling needs far more teams to be at the top table, and you'd like to think Offley will be one of those teams in years to come.
0: Yeah, Leo Connor, the Awfully manager, is listening to us at the moment as part of the chat, and he said after the game, both on TG Car and on Midlands Radio, that really it's about what happens next uh, for their team as opposed to the disappointment of today, and they're even having a homecoming for. Uh, their team tomorrow. Um, again, I think that's the right thing to do after they won their first Leinster in a generation and got to a first All-Ireland final since 1989. Um, Michael Quinlevin is with us as well to give us a Tipperary perspective on this. Um, Mickey took Tipperary clinical, scored one, two without reply late on in the game. And you've got to take your chances when they come. That's probably the Tipperary perspective on this, isn't it?
1: Um, I think so, yeah. Look, I think for this Tipperary team, They've shown a hell of a lot of character in all of the games they've played this year. And that's really, you know, the, the, the shining light of, of, of everything. Um, I was actually, I was watching it on the telly. And it's it's funny, the, the last free is probably, it's it's only about three or four yards away from where a player would actually rise it and try and strike it on goal itself. So in some ways, they were nearly lucky it was a little bit further out. Um, but just, look, what a finish. As, as Dai said, they just dug in there and, um, you know, awfully probably were the better team, I would say, across the 60 minutes. I thought they were brilliant. And I think for both sides, you're going to see a hell of a lot of these players come through and play senior senior hurling with, with their counties, which is, in the cold light of day, probably not what needs to be said today. But for for two teams that are probably going through a slight bit of a, a rebuild at the minute, I think it's, it's a nice positive outcome that
0: you'll see a lot of these guys starting to come through now in the coming years. Yeah, that was the first game of two today. We had the senior semi-final afterwards, where um, Limerick just about won, twenty-seven points to one twenty-one. Sarah Donovan, you were watching this game in Porto of all places, slightly more um, exotic than the rest of us who were watching it either in Crow Park or on TV today. Um, Galway put it up to them. Um, a lot of the pre-match predictions. We were in Limerick for a roadshow midweek and the feeling was this was probably going to be six to eight points in Limerick's favour, that Limerick should come through easily enough given the way Galway had hurled in their games against uh, Cork and in the Leinster final against Kilkenny. But Henry shefflin has got to be happy when he looks back in this game. The intensity shown by Galway missed a few chances down the stretch, but generally they went toe for toe. That game was level on 10 different occasions today.
5: Yeah, and look, they had 18 wides in the end and I think Limerick had 15, but for me watching the game, it looked like a completely different Galway team to the team that played Cork. I know after the Cork game, I felt that Galway looked threadbare. But what Henry managed to do in two weeks in terms of their conditioning, in terms of their energy levels, like that has to be admired. Because two weeks ago, they didn't look like they were going to be able for a contest against Limerick. So whatever he put in those water bottles in the last two weeks, completely different team. Always knew that be able for Limerick and look the league obviously showed that in that win that they had the oh. Limerick against Kilkenny had a better bearing for Galway because Galway while playing poorly still had the advantage unlike Clare of being in Croke Park less than a month ago and having a better sense of the, of the game and the place
0: he, we were talking to Joe Quaid, actually, about um, Reedy's really turn the week, about this the fact that he played, not that long ago, in the Christie ring for Kildare. And he was making the point that now he's gone back into the Limerick panel. He gives him an option coming off the bench. Probably not the expected hero then. You probably would have been thinking that this was going to be Keane Lynch or maybe the returning Peter Casey. But three very, very important points from David Reedy when it was required in that game.
2: Yeah, but he's very highly rated. Um I was interested in listening um, to the Limerick management afterwards and John in particular was talking about the finishing um, the finishing four or five guys that come on. And I think Limerick are really blessed and it showed again today in that it's about the finishers now and the interesting thing is the Limerick squad of players, there's no separation in relation to the first 15 and the rest kind of make up the numbers down in training. They clearly know at what stage his guys are going to come on to affect the game, and Reedy really apparently has been knocking it out of park down training, and both corner forwards. I thought I thought Garouge was actually the quieter, or both both half forwards, which went. I thought garage was was the quietest. I'd seen him in a long time, so there's definitely a template there as to kind of how you can go and shut that down. But Reedy really was phenomenal. I mean, to come in to the pitch of a game like that and have the effect—that's the most difficult thing. There's no such thing nowadays as coming in and, you know, acclimatising for a seven or eight minute period because you could be killed in that particular period of time. You could be beaten for three balls by your, you know, opposing player, if it's Pory Mannion or whomever it is. But he just got to the pitch of the thing and he affected the game. And that's a phenomenal performance to come on and have an effect like that and be at the pitch of the game because... That was frantic stuff. I mean, you just did not get a second will on the ball. But I thought Galway were really suited to Limerick because of the size and strength that they have in so many positions. But I do think the start that Limerick got kind of, you know, did stand to them. It took an awful lot for Galway to get back at them. But it goes to show Limerick's game is predicated with the way they can throw the ball around three or four times between the full back line, the half back line. And then all it takes usually is One of the halfbacks to break a tackle, and then everything is heads up. Everyone is looking with the heads up as to where they're striking the ball, the whole thing. But when Galway got in their faces and broke that down, it showed that there is potential there to get in amongst Limerick and cause problems when you force deliveries and guys to make deliveries or go backwards or go sideways. And also, when you mark their two wing forwards, man to man, because they kind of drift out so far back to field and pick up a lot of loose balls from the half-back line that they turn and they have so many options to just pinpoint wherever they want. But if you get on them hard, you're cutting Limerick options down. Now, you do lose your own shape a bit, but if you're willing to go man-to-man and trust, you can get at Limerick, and that was shown today.
0: If you're a limited Galway supporter on the way back from the game and you want to come in, just throw in a request and uh, we'll bring you into the conversation here. Sarah, one of the more unusual moments during the game, and look, in the end it was a three-point difference. There were two points that were chalked off due to Hawkeye. And the big talking point is the Ronan Glennon one. It took almost three minutes. I think it clocked in at two minutes 47 that it took for Hawkeye to actually disallow that score. Hawkeye's had a few issues this year um, where it hasn't operated properly. I wonder if today that was actually turned off and back on again or something.
5: Uh, the same happened down in Semple for at least two games I was at this year, where we were left waiting two minutes, two and a half, three minutes for a score. I think it was in the Limerick-Claire game. And like that, it felt almost like a rugby match because you were kind of, the players aren't used to that, you know, extent of time waiting for the ball to be put back into play. for. But for today, for the game to continue, and then the match be called back and the score be kind of returned, basically. Uh, It's definitely something that's obviously not um, in the spirit of the GAA at the minute. And I wonder, are we kind of giving too much license to Hawkeye now? Um, It obviously worked in their favour later because I know they got a big score late on um, that we thought was wide. I think it was Connor Whelan's score that inched inside the post. Um, So I I certainly would be uh, slow to rely on it um, and, I, and I think the G are going to have to look at it certainly in terms of the speed that it's taking um, to, to respond to the referee and his umpires.
0: Yeah, this is definitely the longest one I've ever seen. Um quinn livin what did you make of it?
1: I've played in a number of games in Semple Stadium going back probably five or six years and any time Hawkeye goes on in Semple, now this is separate to Crow Park, it, do, it takes two minutes at least. Now, what, what, it, What's very good about it is, right? You do get the right answer in the end. But if you're a chasing team with five or ten minutes to go, you have some momentum, and then a the score goes to Hawkeye, it kills the whole thing, which is which is such a killer, um, and and that's what you hope won't happen in a big game. Is that everyone's waiting around with five minutes to go to see the, see is this Hawkeye score gone over um, when the ball already could be pucked out and there could be two more plays, you know, already after happening by the time it, it comes back. It, it, certainly in the way and, and the length of time it's taken at the minute really doesn't help anybody. I would say, um, I actually would be happier with the Davy Glenn or the Ronan Glennon piece. At least the, the play goes on for three minutes and then they chalked it off. So you're not all waiting around. Um, now I don't know what the balance is there because the later you get into a game, I think it obviously affects it a little bit more. Um, but it's it's an interesting one. I I don't think the current system that's in there, it's had a huge problems, you know, going back to even that minor final between Limerick and, and Waterford, it's 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 had a number of problems over the years and it, it definitely needs to be looked at again because it's it's causing the spectacle issues now
0: as well. Yeah. Um Dolly Gold did a great job with turnovers. Um they turned over for one nine in scores during the game. Just looking at Johnny Bradley's stats here from afterwards. The disappointing factor for Galway will be a recurring issue that they've had since the Leinster final. Their shot efficiency was up a bit on that Kilkenny day, but still 47 shots, 22 scores is only 47% efficiency compared to Limerick, who had 61. Came back to haunt them just a bit towards the
2: end. Yes, uh, you know, the stats don't lie. Facts and figures, it's very hard to argue against them. And a lot of the Galway wides like, were just, yeah break your heart, particularly in the first half of times. You look at guys isolated, even when Johnny Glynn went inside, you thought, well, go for him. And it's interesting, the goal that Galway got, I think it came from uh, David Burke in the middle of the field, who rose the ball without looking and turned and struck it. And, you know, a quick fast ball without even looking, isolated with two players inside. There's still a there's still a place for it. Um, but 100% you're right, and, and I listened to Jackie Tyrrell then on the radio after the game, I stopped in Castlecomer and watched it. And he, he made the point. I thought it was a really interesting point. The same question was raised about the inefficiency of Galway's accuracy. And Jackie said, we won't be as inaccurate as that. And I thought, you're right. You don't expect it from Kilkenny, inaccuracies from Kilkenny. And to me, going back the years, there were two counties that always stuck out to me that tended to be more wasteful than most. And I don't know why it was but back in the years I always thought Galway and Wexford used to have a huge you know, a lot of a lot of wides for the amount of possession. There was times Wexford I felt probably could have could and should have beaten us in a couple of inter championship games back in the nineties, but they would have just some really bad wides, whether it was rushed, whether it was a lack of confidence, whether it was skill set, um, eye for goals. But you never you never seem to get that from Kilkenny. They're, they're usually more accurate than everybody else. Um, so, yeah, that inefficiency really hurt Galway today. And in a game of fine margins, you know, some of the Limerick points towards the very, very end, like just ruthless efficiency. Now, they had their own wides as well. But when the game was in the balance with three to four minutes to go, it was the efficiency of Limerick shooting that ultimately was a huge contributory factor.
0: Sarah, we have that efficiency from Kilkenny. I think it's a very good point, which is made by Jackie Tyrrell, um, about the fact that Kilkenny yesterday, it seemed nearly everything, particularly first half that they hit towards goal, went between the posts. Um, Claire were hitting wise. Um, I think their approach, we can talk about that a bit more in a moment, was probably wrong and they played right into Kilkenny's hands defensively. But at the far end, when Kilkenny were getting blocks in, getting turnovers in, it seemed almost invariable if the ball came to Adrian Mullen or TJ Reid, it was going between the crosses.
5: Yeah, like Adrian Mullen's now gone ahead of Tony Kelly in the all in the scoring championships this year with twenty five points. Um, from Kilkenny's point of view, I think at halftime the stat was sixteen wides for Clare and three for Kilkenny. That's how efficient they were. So, you know, uh, that efficiency. Jackie's right. It, like Limerick will will struggle if Kilkenny are as accurate as they were. And and that's saying a lot because I didn't think Kilkenny, you know, they demolished Clare yesterday and everything that they did right yesterday. I was just, I was mesmerized by the performance and I suppose it, it puts them in a different light. But outside of that, I thought Billy Ryan yesterday, like running off of uh, TJ Reid, the scores that he got, the goal he got, they were bouncing yesterday. And I think they're in prime position now based on that performance to go at Limerick and uh, I'd be really excited for Kilkenny going into that final based on that performance yesterday
0: Michael when it comes to the performance we'll bring in uh, Declan Herrer in a moment on this but I, Kilkenny go into this game, have to try and stop Tony Kelly. They put Mikey Butler on him, um, which all credit to Paul Murphy on the Hurling Pod this week. He said he would be the man who would be brought in to take him on. The joke kind of went this morning. The chances are Tony Kelly woke up this morning and Mikey Butler was beside him in the bed. Such <laughs> a job he did as a man, Marguerite, yesterday.
1: Yeah, I, I, was in, I was in Crow Park for the game. Um, I thought he did a phenomenal job. But I just thought Clare were under so much pressure back to field because of the way Kenny were playing. They mixed up their game so well. You know, they were able to suck Clare out with short passing, similar to what you see with Limerick. And then the odd time go very long to TJ where he's isolated one-on-one. And, I mean, if, if, if the ball is landing anywhere in his zone at the minute, it's just stuck to his hand. It's, it's ridiculous what he's able to do. Um, and then they were able to, you know, go man-to-man with Tony Kelly. Um, they did an unbelievable job. I thought the six-backs that's as good a performance from six backs as you're going to see probably in the whole championship across the board even early on you you talk about maybe hammering the hammer and a long high ball is coming down on top of Peter Duggan and Hugh Lawler goes up at least three foot over him and plucks it out of the sky and that just set the tone they were they bullied you know any of the ball that was coming in they were so tight the ball was rolling off behind and then Richie Reed is just sweeping up and then back to maybe your point just on the efficiency is the difference in where Kilkenny are taking all their shots from. They're they're not hitting silly ball from their own sixty five a lot of the time. Most of the time they're taking their shot inside the forty five. They're you know looking for a person in a better position, um, and that's why they're so, way you know a hell of a lot more accurate and and that showed in the in the wides count,
0: especially in the first half as well. Yeah, and they can be very efficient and go right down the middle if they need to, like we saw with the two goals for Kyogen and for Keane Kenny in the second half as well. Declan Hare has been uh, waiting in the uh, waiting room to come in. Declan, what's in your mind? Sorry, yeah, you can, yeah,
6: yeah. We're just in the road home now from Crop Park. Can you hear me there? We can hear you. Yeah. Who are you, a supporter, Declan? Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I'd, just one interesting point there. Now, you know. We'll say, I I, I met your Haggerty there and he thought that Garrodes was one of his disappointing days today, you know. But when you consider that, we'll say, four Limerick forwards, you know, eventually were taken off, but to still get a tally of 27 points is some going. you know what I mean, when your forwards aren't all firing. And I don't know what you think of that, when you, you know, with Limerick getting 27 points, it's some tally of scores,
0: yeah. Yeah, we'll throw it around to the lads But we'll just get your opinion on that I mean, there's a different scorer Or someone that seems to stand up for Limerick Because there have been injuries There have been suspensions this year Like, you think back to Flanagan's contribution in the Munster final How well Kyle Hayes played today It seems there's always somebody to stand up And a lot of this has been happening with Keane Lynch Not been available for the last few games
6: Like, obviously, I think Kyle You know, with Keane Lynch back in it I think it might change the half-forward line Quite a bit, you know, it might improve him but it was just, um, but like, I'm just saying that it's some, it's, um, you know, even when fellas don't show up, like, you know, in fairness, to them, they, they are putting in a huge effort, but like, to get 27 points from the rest of the players is, is some contribution.
0: So I mean, i put that it point is, to you. Yeah. I mean, there have it been is, various different is. times this year where, say, some players haven't performed brilliantly within the forward line. I mean, I think Galan has probably been the most consistent forward that they've had. But somebody seems to step up every time when needed. Even today, when as Declan has mentioned, Gerold probably didn't have his best game. There was still enough guys to probably carry the scoring load in that forward line.
2: Yeah, 100%. Like, you look at Jamie Flanagan early on in the first quarter. I mean, he was, he was unmarkable. And he's taken off towards the end. He lost a couple of balls down under the Hogan stand side, and you know, they were able to spring the likes of Reedy and fellas like that. And But it's, it's the way Limerick play, it's the way that they bring the ball out and the speed and accuracy of their 30, 40 yard passing. I mean, they create so much space that even from kind of 60, 70 yards out, the guy or the player that's in possession, if it's a thing he does wish to go for a score, he's time to plant the feet. Whereas That's down to to, to what feeds into it. It's always somebody who's broken a tackle and it's accuracy. It's like they're as good as Kilkenny were back in Kilkenny's heyday and they remind me very much of kind of the All Blacks and even watching the All Blacks again yesterday. Limerick do simplicity brilliantly. 90% or 95% of their hand passes will hit the target as he's moving. It'll never go behind him and it infrequently will go to ground. The All Blacks throwing a pass the receiver is always taking him in front of him. You watched the Irish team yesterday. How many times did a guy take a pass and it's at shoulder level? He's got to stop a split second to take it and then momentum again, but that's a half a yard. A half yard at the top levels means somebody's on you, nailing you back over the game line. Limerick do, they're so efficient in the basic simplicity of what they do. How often do we see in the course of a game, 40, 50, 20, 30, 40 yard stick passes all built up from their full back line. So, you know, you look at the first quarter, the balls that went into Galan and Flanagan, every one of them that were struck was been struck from 60, 70 yards away from a player who had ample time to look up, bypass Mannion and put it exactly where he wanted to do. It's only when Galway got way more in their face after the first quarter that they started to hurry Limerick up a small little bit. So again, it's like what we talk about. If you want to break and dissect Limerick down, you've got to stop them at source. That means Kilkenny forwards have got to be for 74, 75 minutes in their face trying to break it down. And then the only worry you have is, if you're doing that as a forward so much, it takes so much out of you. Have you then got the ability when you're on the ball and the energy to also beat the same player that you're trying to stop? coming out. So Limerick just do it from all angles and they come in droves. It's not to say it can't be stopped but it's not easy stop it.
0: Sarah, when it comes to Kilkenny putting up this challenge to Limerick now in the upcoming final, we're probably naive to think that the teams are still similar to 2019. A lot has changed in the three years of subsequently gone by. But Kilkenny will have to take a bit of heart from the way that they showed incredible intensity in the first half of that game in 2019 the way that they went out and blitzed Clare in the semi-final just gone by as well Limerick I think will win his favourites despite John Kiley saying off the ball earlier that he thinks Kilkenny are well primed going into the final I think Kilkenny are going to really fancy this
5: I would say that Kilkenny are in the best possible position here because all of the pressure is on Limerick they're going for a three in a row they're a phenomenal team Cody has, you know, the magic, the Midas touch again. Uh, this Kilkenny team have basically come from nothing, if you consider that at the start of the year, they weren't anyone's favourites. But based on the performance yesterday, everything that they do, uh, the, the, their catching, their fielding, their, their energy, their tackling, that's what you want in a team. And then added to that, you TJ Reid back on form, You scores from Mullen yesterday the two points from Billy Ryan the goals from Keam Kenny the goals from Martin Keown. like this was this was so frenetic and so ferocious from them that there was no aspect of their performance that i disliked and their tackle count was like th- sorry their free count that they gave away was so low i think it was 20 21 minutes before Tony Kelly was able to step over a ball for a free so they were so efficient in the way that they actually uh, kept the, the free count down against, um, against Clare, which really, really helped um, Kilkenny yesterday because Clare couldn't get anything on the scoreboard for ages.
0: Interested to hear from Clare supporters just on the year that's gone by. Michael, i throw it to you that they weren't expected to get out of the Munster Championship before it started. Did very well to get to the final, pushed Limerick all the way in that decider, lost out an extra time didn't perform the way they would have liked, I think, in either the quarterfinal or the semifinal. Um, they had to produce a late rally to beat Wexford in the quarter, and it didn't happen for them on Saturday. Um, you can argue about what kind of impact John Conlon would have had, but I Clare's approach didn't work against Kilkenny in a general sense. What would be your assessment of Clare's year?
1: I think, uh, from an overall standpoint, it's, it's massive progress on where they came from last year, um, but it just shows the really small margins here. Clare looked like a team that needed a four-week break, after that monster final to regroup. Um and just not getting over the line in that monster final, you can see that against Wexford was a tired performance. Again, against Kilkenny, another kind of tired performance where shooting is a bit awry. It was just a little bit sloppy. Um and you just get punished against against a team like Kilkenny. They're they're just rootless in that scenario and, and they just put them to the sword. But on an overall basis I think if, if they'd have sat down at the start of the year and said they'd have reached a monster final and an All-Ireland semi-final I think people would have been relatively happy in Clare and I think Clare supporters would have been happy with that considering the low base they were coming into from from last year.
0: Dahi, when they look into 2023 do we consider Clare within the top three in the
2: country right now or where do you see them? I don't know whether i go with that metric of being in the top three I would say coming into this game Clare there was a huge um, optimism in Clare and about Clare and even outside of Clare, I think. They were heavily tipped by a lot of people yesterday. What I would say is the manner of the defeat yesterday will leave a sour taste because with all the phenomenal work that's gone into them and a very charismatic manager and all the players clearly have bought in, you can clearly see the whole county rode in behind this thing. So expectations were very high yesterday. When you have a performance like you had and a defeat like it you've had, like it's a lot easier for Henry to sit down in a week's time with the Galway squad and say, right, you know, let's do an inventory of our year. We are so close to it. When you're clear, you sit down and you're referring back to the Munster final, which was epic. But since the Munster final, they showed great character in the last ten minutes against Wexford, albeit not a great performance. And yesterday was what it is. So. It's easier for Henry to have that conversation. So to that end, going into next year, listen, so many things that can happen. Has it been a positive year from Claire? It's been a hugely positive year from a Claire perspective. Just the manner of defeat will will niggle at the management team, will niggle at the players. And, and it, when you're a management team, you look at it and you'll say, what in God's name went wrong? How were we that bad? Whereas if it had been a three or four point defeat in a classic And you were asking the same question, Well, I'd say 100% are up there next year. Now, that's not to say there won't be a force next year. Teams have had bad years before. But I think what we're forgetting here is Cody's been building. He's been building a new team, and he's been building it for a while. And I didn't think Kilkenny the last number of years were, were a huge threat. And I didn't think at the start of the year Kilkenny were going to be a huge threat. I think that's changing. And I think this probably is the first year whereby Kilkenny are a serious threat and arguably into the future, Kilkenny will continue to be a serious threat where we're talking about them in potential All-Ireland champions. And I just think Clare felt that whirlwind yesterday and I think we're in for an awesome All-Ireland final in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Di it's hard to compare across areas and everything else, but if Brian Cody was to lead Kilkenny to what would be his 12th All-Ireland title this year, given they've had, what, this is the seventh year, they wouldn't have lifted Lee McCarthy, so they have to lift it in the last six if they were to win Lee McCarthy this year, would this be his biggest achievement of his management career?
2: Arguably so, yeah. And it's a parallel to if you go back to Curry going for the five in a row in nineteen eighty two. In eighty in in eighty two they lost the final. In eighty three they didn't get out of Munster. Cork pipped him. Dublin won the All Ireland football. So they'd been on the go since seventy five and, and the consensus was that was it. You know, it was only one way after that, and Mikko came back and then he won three in a row again. So you'd say which was his best, his first achievement with basically 21s in 1975 or coming back and winning another three in a row. I thought the three in a row was an extraordinary achievement when everybody had them finished. I think if if Cody was to turn around and win again, having built another team, because I don't think anybody else would have did it for the simple reason, the code and the ethics and the culture that he has there, he's such a powerful man. That all the new guys that would have come in they weren't of the same calibre nor could you expect them to have been of the Henrys, the JJs, the Tommy Welches but what they would have done was they would have got to the pitch of the culture immediately and that means their development would have been forwarded because it is, this, this is what you must do, this is what's expected of you so if he had gone I always felt the retirements of some of the big players was inevitable but to me Cody staying was the big thing because I thought, if he went, does a new manager coming in, can he maintain the, 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 this incredible culture that Cody had? And I would have questioned whether somebody could have come in so soon after he would have left maybe two, three, four years ago. So by staying, I think he's got these guys to the pitch quicker than anybody else would have done. And that, to me, is down to him.
0: Sir, looking at a different manager we can come back around to the games in a moment I just want to ask you about Kieran Kingston deciding to not stay on in Cork because it seemed they were keen to keep him on for another term his second three-year term came to an end after the loss against Galway last month in the quarterfinals eight years he's had across two different management spells and also he had a couple of years as a coach and as a selector so effectively the last decade he's been involved in the Cork management teams pretty much across the board is this a surprise to see Kieran Kingston step down or were you expecting this?
5: A bit of both. I, I thought that my understanding was that he was going to stay on for another year and allow Noel Furlong and Pat Mulcahy a bit bit more breathing space um, just so that they would kind of, I suppose, bed into the roles that they were to assume next year and the year after. But obviously with this change now and the suggestion that his management team are stepping away and his backroom team are stepping away, that would suggest that a whole new team was coming in. I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think this group of players particularly have gotten very comfortable with the voices that have been around the group. My understanding is that they don't necessarily buy into the strength and conditioning as earlier in the year as other inter-county teams do. Um, Some players haven't uh, gotten into it at all. And I think no more so when Dahi's talking about Brian Cody and the expectation and the culture and, and how you build a group and when players come into a group, what is expected of them. I think perhaps this Cork team needs a new voice and standards that can't be deviated from. And uh, I don't know if that voice is it within Cork. There's talks of uh, Ben O'Connor. Obviously, the Middleton gig last year, they won um, against the run of play. Uh, and, and Ben was at the, at the helm there for Middleton. Conor Lee Han obviously ably assisted Middleton then. Um, I don't know if it's a job that Ben wants right now. Um, but if you're looking within the county, then certainly, you know, Ben would be a front runner there. From an economic point of view, uh, Cork, if you saw during the week, they're selling off uh, land to service their debts. So, You know, the expenses for an inter-county manager coming from outside of the county just may not be feasible for Cork right now. So it might have to be a Cork manager. It might have to be someone within Cork. And the time is, you know, you're talking 40 to 60 hours a week commitment here. So does somebody like Ben O'Connor have the time to do that?
0: Yeah, the tradition is always there as well, Sarah, that Cork appoint from within, as opposed to looking outside. And there are probably a few candidates who are looking for jobs right now. I'm thinking of Eddie Brennan, thinking of Davy Fitzgerald, who's managing with the Cork Camogie uh, team, or well, he's coaching with the Cork Camogie team currently, um, who could be potentially candidates here. But you seem to think there are three or four internal candidates who probably stand out.
5: I wouldn't say they necessarily stand out, but they've been... Within the Cork setup for the last five or six years. So they've been in the under 15s, the under 17s, the 20s, the 21s. Noel Furlong included um Pat Mulcahy the same. Pat Mulcahy was obviously involved with Newtown Chandram as well the last couple of years. They've done their apprenticeships within that setup. And Cork don't tend to look outside because of these guys who put in the groundwork at underage and then it's felt that they know the players and that they would continue through the ranks with those players that and that financial aspect of having to bring in an outside manager which they just can't afford if you're selling sites uh, you clearly you know need to service debt so that are the two key factors here that I anticipate that Cork will bring you know somebody from within the ranks up rather than look outside
0: Yeah our audience is a true who's who at the moment so we form a middleweight world champion Andy Lee listening at the moment Andy if you want to come in and talk about Limerick uh, by all means throw up a request and we'll bring you in Dahi Cork what way do you think they're going to
2: go? Um, I don't think they'll go outside, to be honest with you. Um, but I do think that they should consider it. If it's just solely because of the old establishment kind of view that we would never look outside of our own county. I think Pat Mull's name has been mentioned for quite a bit. Uh, he might be a good guy. Maybe if you look for the likes of himself and Ben O'Connor, who was at the cutting edge of Club hurling and Cork, and bring in a figurehead like Tomás Mull, who had been suggested before um, as a package, as kind of like, you know, overall general manager and from the, the, the drills and skills side of things. You know, Cork are so intriguing, Will, in that I, I often think Cork would love to win the All-Ireland, win, win the battle by having skirmishes. Whereas, you know, Galway went, went to war today, Limerick went to war today, Limerick, same thing, Clare and Limerick in the Munster final. And I just get the impression from Cork, looking at them the last couple of years, I think you're incredibly talented, but you try and play around the battles by playing, you know, this, It's this, just, to me, not a nice brand of hurling. You're trying to play around it and you're looking at Limerick and you're trying to do something differently and disengage from them. But when you're playing the best, sometimes you've just got to, mano, mano, stand up and, you know, break them. And and the best teams you usually have to break. And at some stage, they will get broken. And I think Cork probably, I just think their style of hurling um, is just not suited to win an All-Ireland title. However, I might be in a minority here, but I think the skill set is there. So I do think it needs a new voice. Um, I do think it will come from within the county. But I will be intrigued to see the corridors of power, the type of discussions that will be held as to whether they would look at the likes of an Eddie Brennan, who I think would be a good choice. Um, I know Liam Sheedy's name has been touted. From those that I've heard, I like what Eddie Brennan done in Leash. He had a great win against Dublin in the Championship. Set Leash up, very defensively minded in relation to what we have, we hold. And I think with Cork, he'd go a different way about it. I think he's a talented manager. I think he is going places I just don't see Cork going outside, but I do think they need to broaden the horizons and consider.
0: Interesting point, Di, if I can come back on that one, is that we in the hurling pod, talking to both Paul Murphy and also to James Skell, who have played against Cork in recent seasons, when we were talking about Cork earlier this year when they got to the league final, both expressed their belief that there's a soft underbelly about Cork. They felt that when Cork come up against a team who can mix it like a Kilkenny, like a Galway, like a Limerick, they're too soft.
2: Well, that's something Cork have to deal with, and I mean, kind of, it's a narrative, and you know, people have narratives, but they're the ones that's in control of it. And as long as they perform like they've performed over the last couple of years, I mean, I thought their performance against Galway was absolutely shocking. I thought that the way that they played in a, in, a, in a knockout quarter final for the ability that they had, I just, it, I, I thought it was no cutting edge to it. So. And that's fair enough. I mean, listen, there was more spoken about Cork after Galway beat them. There was very little spoken about Galway. And I guarantee you, Henry and the boys would have looked at that, listened to that and gone, Do you know what? They're talking about a team that's gone out of it. There's nothing about us. So Galway today hurled with a chip on their shoulder, which, which had to be expected. And they did not disappoint. And they came within an ace of doing it. Now, Limerick were just that little bit better that little bit more clinical but I'll tell you what Galway absolutely went at it and they'll be massively disappointed because they didn't win I think Cork with the games that they've lost would have been massively disappointed that they didn't show up there's a big difference between the two of them
0: Richard Hogan come on in what's in your mind
3: uh, well well um, just a question for dahi and you might address this already but if you're to contrast Clare and Waterford, who's had the better season? Now, bearing in mind, I know Waterford were beaten earlier, but Waterford and Silver, where Clare don't have anything to show for the fantastic Hurling that they've had. And it's kind of ended on a bit of a downer. Now, look, like it was hard to watch that yesterday, even as a Kenny Perry. a positive side take it is that Cody back to form, Adrian Mullen, three or four points again. Um, So those Ballahale forwards that have been impressive for their club, uh, you know, starting to come back to form for for us at the right time of the season. And I think, again, judging it and getting the time right, Michael Kenny were very poor in Leinster, losing to Wexford, struggled to get to the Leinster over Goldman Leinster final. But just getting, hitting the ground running now with two weeks into the final, peaking kind of at the right time, which makes them very dangerous going in as underdogs. But just... (laughs) Like would would I know Dahi has said that Claire be disappointed with the tail end, but the fact that they've no silver to show for all the hard work that they've put in, you know does that taint it in any way i th- I think it's a very good
2: question. If you're asking me on the basis that Waterford have a national title behind them, does that mean they've had a more successful year Well on the basis if you if you metric it by silver where yes, but let's not forget at the start of the year, most people myself included but most people were saying Waterford are a team that will stand up in every aspect against Limerick and they'll meet them front on and they have a deep bench and it would not have been any surprise at the start of the year to have people say it's going to be Limerick and Waterford probably three times now that was that was the narrative that a lot of people had so you know with the ambition that would have been in Waterford i think it would have been based on one game at a time, it's to win Munster, it's to win an All-Ireland title. And they were logical, practical and believable goals to have. So it's been a massively disappointing season from Waterford's point of view. Very few expected Clare to come out of Munster. Um, if I was sitting both bunch of players down now and ask what we could take from the year, I think Clare's conversation would be an easier one. Because with the Waterford players, if you turn around and say, listen, lads, we had a bad monster, but we won the National League, I think it'll fall on deaf ears, and correctly so, because I think they're more ambitious than that. So from a Clare perspective, there's a lot more that they, they can dig into, that we were the minnows in Munster. Very few, if any, outside the county thought that they would. The only thing going against Clare and mitigating against Clare is the manner of the defeat yesterday. That's going to bring its own level of soul searching that I don't think they thought they'd have to do you know if they didn't win the All-Ireland final I don't think Clare thought there'd be a lot of soul searching there probably will after yesterday but to be fair I think you might agree there'll be a hell of a lot of soul searching in Waterford as to what the hell did we do or not do to be gone when we were genuine contenders at the start of the year but I think it's a fair question
3: Yeah absolutely it's just the key thing is, and this championship is really shown the timing is everything getting your run right at the right time. Yeah. Waterford peaked too soon. Hello, we thought Claire hadn't peaked too soon and it looks like they had based on yesterday. About so it's, you know, it's just about getting it right. Yeah. Michael,
2: Michael made a really good point earlier on and, and it's really well made and, and it's worth repeating, I think. Honestly, I think that the monster final with Claire took an awful lot out of him to, to reach and, and it bears out your point. It's correct because we a game of golf yesterday with Johnny and Joe Dooley, and we were making the point. In 1995, we played Kilkenny in a Leinster final, and that culminated in one of Offaly's greatest ever performances. And we never reached that peak afterwards. Now, Clare won Munster that year. Epically won Munster. Beat Limerick for the first time since God what been, what and people was a child. And Clare never reached those heights either even though they beat us in the All-Ireland final, neither of us reached the same heights again because for them, Munster was their holy grail. And for us, maybe beating Kilkenny in a Leinster final. So we both played out quite a dour All-Ireland final. Yeah, yeah. neither of it reach those it's heights. So it's not that it you can reach those heights. Limerick seemed to be able to do it. The great Kilkenny team, maybe that's why we're talking about these two sets of teams as arguably over the last 40, 50 years, you know the best teams that's been out there. It's because they can do it with 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 regularity.
3: And ninety eight was kind of a flip of what you said about ninety five in regards to Clare and that they had those huge battles with Waterford in the Munster final and the replay, and you had all the suspensions and everything else. And then obviously you know you had the issues in Crow Park and the two replays. But it's just you know it it kind of you 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 have to time it right in regards to getting there, yeah. particularly. At the right end of the year, they were a you know, spent force. Early. They yeah. were a spent yeah. force
2: by the time they'd gone to Turles. Now, to be yeah. fair, awfully pulled it out that day, but Clare thought they were in an All Ireland final, and they were absolutely gone down in Turles. A brilliant, brilliant side, but it was just sucked out of them. I mean, you're talking about amateurs, and and the whole m- mental side of things and the preparation, you know, to go out and get yourself to the pitch at that level you know, the weeks building up to it, the kind of persona that you adopt as an individual, outside of your normal kind of persona, and and to get to a different kind of animal and and a different way of thinking, to do that with great regularity i just think nowadays the way things are the management teams and the whole setups allow players do it easier than they did back when we were playing to be fair about it where nobody really sat down with you and talked you down after the highs and the lows you just turned up for training again and you had to deal with stuff yourself now now there's platforms there to make it easier for players to recover in every manner and that's obviously of course a very very welcome thing but you know limerick seemed to be able to do it with, with with such regularity, but I, I, I just think we're in for an extraordinary All-Ireland final. I really do, because don't forget, Kilkenny will look down at Limerick. They've won all their All-Irelands. They beat Limerick, it was three years ago in the semi-final, 2019. And like there'll be a little bit of a snobbish element in Kilkenny that will go, what in Christ's name would we fear Limerick? We're Kilkenny. And you see, they're right to have that. They need that and the need to bring that. So there'll be no fear from a Kilkenny point of thing. And obviously Limerick are on the cusp of a wave. So like they'll have no fear of Kilkenny either. And when you get two monumental teams going at it then who will respect one another but have no fear, you're, you're talking really potential
3: classic. You know, Brian Cody is going to look forward to the next two week. He was not as a stick to beat the players with as well in regards to everyone's writing them off. And You know, he's, he wants, he's just going to love it. The build-up coming into it, it's all going to be Low-key. All the pressure is going to be on Limerick and Kylie. And it's just going to be interesting to see if can he get the start that they got against Clare. And even, you know, if they were in the position that Wexford were in against Clare, you know, Limerick are not getting back into the game. They're going to shut him down. They're going to shut it out. And that's and that's all that experience that you've talked about in regards to winning and getting over the line, that know-how. You know, there's still a few lads knocking around there from 07, 08. You know, so, you know, they'll know how to get the job done when it comes to, to the final few minutes uh, on the big day. So it's really going to be interesting to see. But, I mean, if, if Limerick get off to the good start, it, it, like the first 20 minutes are going to be key as to who can get out the traps first, who can impose themselves on the game. And whoever does and gets into the lead, then they're in control of the narrative of how the game flows. And it's going to be very, very hard then for the opposition probably to get back into it because they're just going to shut it down.
0: Yeah, we'll throw around for predictions from the lads now in a second. We'll go around the doors in a second ahead of two weeks' time. But Sarah, I wanted to ask you about the final six is now confirmed for the Camogie Championship at this stage. But Tipperary, probably the unlucky team from the weekend, given that they beat Cork, who were bound for the semi finals, but yet missed out in scoring difference in their group.
5: Yeah, so Tip won that game against Cork, 117 to 116. Bit of a surprise. Now, Cork lost Ashling Thompson to a red card. So if her suspension carries through, she'll be a big loss for Cork for that semi-final. Um, Outside of that, I suppose from Tip's point of view, they needed Wexford to beat Dublin um, to get the result and qualify themselves. So Wexford started really well, seven points up. After 15 minutes, Dublin went right at them and ended up winning it by 10 points. So big turnaround for Dublin in that second half, which allowed them to pop into third Clare, Tip and Wexford lost out. Waterford went into second and Cork obviously went straight through. Dublin ending up in third means that Waterford probably got the easier side of the draw and that uh, Waterford play Limerick now. Limerick beat Antrim and Kilkenny and Galway uh, played out a draw and Galway went through on score difference. So Galway are into the semi-final and Dublin unfortunately have to play Kilkenny again. And Kilkenny made very light work of Dublin in the Leinster uh, final about uh, six weeks ago. So I suppose from the point of view of newcomers um, tip have been knocking around the last four or five years and have consistently made the semi-final and now there's a real opportunity for Waterford to make the semi-final for the first time in a long time with Limerick um, in their sights and look from the same point of view Limerick you know won't uh, be shy of Waterford so makes for a really really interesting quarter final setup.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Clare and Offaly will play in the relegation playoff. Okay, let's get thoughts then ahead of the final. Michael and come to you first because the ads are on before the Sunday game, so we'll race around with predictions. Who are you backing, Limerick to win four and five, or Kilkenny going to break the streak?
4: Uh,
1: Limerick. I ju- I just think Limerick have been tested. They've been they've been down this road. I think they get another couple of weeks into Keane Lynch, and I think he makes all the difference in an All Ireland final.
2: All right, Ty, what way are you going? Limerick, yeah. Limerick, unless Kilkenny score minimum two, if not more goals, but if it goes to a you know point shoot-fest, I think it's Limerick because they'll score them from all over the field. Kilkenny tend not to shoot from massive distances with the same regularity, although they're well capable of doing it. Um, phenomenal game. I think it's going to be just just so robust, but I just think Limerick's depth of bench tips the balance.
0: Sarah, what were you going to these time
5: Kilkenny. Uh, Walter Walsh coming on yesterday and taking that ball out of Dermot Ryan's pocket. I just think that Kilkenny team, based on what I saw yesterday, will be a big, big ask for Limerick. I'm really excited about it.
0: Intriguing. My thanks to uh, Mickey Levin to Di Regan, to Sarah Donovan, who've been fantastic co-host tonight. Uh, to all of you who joined in the conversation, Tommy Rooney's going to be back uh, next week at half past eight, where he'll be looking at both of the football semi-finals. from next weekend. You can get the Hurling Pod with James Gell and Paul Murphy on the OTB Hurling feed from 7pm tomorrow. Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue will be with Tommy for the football pod. They've got their bumper semi-final preview coming up, which will be available on Tuesday morning. Thanks again for listening and being part of the chat. We'll talk to you again next Sunday at half past eight.